Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be discussing this thread by Tyler Failer about open theism. Now, this is the individual who had that long discussion with Will Duffy about open theism. And Will Duffy seems to have gotten the upper hand in this conversation, which caused Tyler Fowler to take pause. Uh, there was some sort of uh, thread where he's requesting help in dealing with open theism. And this seems to be his withdrawal from the debate. He posted a big, huge, huge uh, comment, this, uh, this post. How many words are we got here? We got uh, like uh, 2,200 words. That seems pretty excessive, um, but that's his idea of withdrawing from the debate. He's going to post some final thoughts, and that's going to be that, because he actually doesn't know how to deal with open theists who take the Bible seriously and deal with the biblical material. That was one of the things that he was taken aback during his discussion with Will Duffy, that he tried to sidetrack to philosophy, and Will Duffy kept bringing it back to the Bible, which is always a good strategy with dealing with open theism, because then it causes them to deal with the fact that their position is the anti-biblical position. They want to talk philosophy. You want to talk the Bible. It becomes painfully obvious which side actually values values the Bible as a data set for informing beliefs. And so always when you're dealing with these individuals who are very philosophically based or even those who are not point back to the Bible. It'll make them uncomfortable. They won't know how to deal with it. So Tyler Failer, he writes this. This is a huge thread on this. The following is what I've put together in the last couple days as a response to open theism and the claims some make about God not knowing the future. This doesn't mean I'm taking up open theism as a primary focus, but after the post some of you may have seen over the past week, I thought one a one-time written response might do some good. If only it shows biblically why why I still reject open theism as a whole. So if if you're an open theist, and uh, or even if you're not, even if you you just care about what the biblical authors think about God, how would you go about proving that God had eternal, ungenerated, unfalsifiable, exhaustive, innate, non-discursive knowledge of all future events? You you'd probably want to see something like uh, Augustine. Here, here's Augustine on this issue. And do such as we think that in so great an infirmity of mind, we could comprehend whether the foresight of God is the same as his memory and his understanding, who does not regard in thought each several thing, so it's non-discursive, but embraces all that he knows in one eternal and unchangeable and ineffable vision. No, no that sounds <laughs> That sounds pretty much like Augustine is affirming what we, we just talked about, that hopefully, hopefully the Bible has something about that somewhere. Maybe, maybe, maybe he might be pointing to something in the Bible like Ambrose has on the subject. Here's Ambrose. I ask then whether he has this knowledge by reason of his being or by chance, for all knowledge comes to us either through nature or by learning. It is supplied by nature, as, for instance, to a horse to enable it to run or a fish to enable it to swim, for they do this without learning. On the other hand, it is by learning that a man is enabled to swim, for he cannot do so unless he has learned. Since therefore nature enables dumb animals to do this and know what they have not learned, why shouldn't thou give an opinion on the Son of God and say whatever he has knowledge by instruction or by nature? If by instruction, then he was not begotten as wisdom and gradually began to be perfect, but was not always so. 
But if he has knowledge by nature, then he was perfect in the beginning. He came forth perfect from the Father, and so needed no knowledge of the future. So maybe maybe we might have something like Ambrose. Maybe maybe we can use something like uh, some Gnostic text. How about the interpretation of knowledge? He became an emanation of the trace. For they also say about the likeness that is apprehended by means of his trace, the structure apprehends by means of the likeness, but God apprehends by means of his members. He knew them before they were begotten, and they will know him. And the one who begot each one from the first will indwell in them. He will rule over them. Or maybe something like Panatheus writes. Uh, he says, Accordingly, when asked by some who pride themselves on the outside learning in what way the Christians suppose God to become acquainted with the universe, their own opinion being that he obtains his knowledge of it in different ways, of things fallen within the providence of the understanding by means of the understanding and those within the region of the senses by means of the senses, they replied, neither does he gain acquaintance with sensible things by the senses nor with things within the sphere of understanding by the understanding. For it is not possible that he who is above all existing things should apprehend them by means of existing things. We assert, on the contrary, he is acquainted with existing things as the products of his own volition. So God has some sort of innate knowledge. Maybe something like that. That Those are the types of things we would expect to see in the Bible if any of them had any conception of God having this type of knowledge where he knows all things, uh, future, exhaustively, unfalsifiably, innately, doesn't learn from outside himself. But that's not what these people turn to. This is not how their evidence works. This is not their mindset, how they do theology. We're going to see right here in his response how does he do theology? He says, oh, here is God predicting one thing, and that prediction comes true. Therefore, God has eternal, unfalsifiable knowledge of all events. Does, does it work like that? I mean, I do that all the time. I could predict people's uh, actions in mass. I could predict that the price of cryptocurrency is going to go up when you see the American uh, currency inflate. Right, People are going to flee the volatile currency and move towards something that has a little bit more stability. Inflation will cause assets to flow where, where value can be stored. It will flow to gold. It will flow to silver. These things are predictable. You can predict future actions. It's done and it's done quite often in human history. <laughs> Entire nations uh, live and fall on uh, the prediction of how people are going to act and react in mass. It doesn't prove that anyone knows the future. The evidence is just a complete speculation. It's a complete non sequitur. And so we'll, we'll talk about this. We'll look at his evidence and we'll think, does, is it, is it, does he have any evidence whatsoever or is he grasping at straws because there is nothing in the Bible? God knowing one thing in the future. Yeah, we know one thing in the future. We live day to day based on our knowledge of how the world works how the world's going to function. I drive my car down the street knowing that I'm just not going to fall into a black hole because the future is predictable. I, I'm going to drive to work tomorrow and I'm going to drive back home and it, it's happened. My prediction has been true. Um, going on for I don't know how many years, decades, my predictions have been true about how the world works around me. It's, it's not hard. It doesn't prove that I know the future exhaustively. But they have to appeal to this type of stuff. They have to appeal to these these times where God knows the future. They don't want to focus on the times in the Bible where God doesn't know the future, where, where God is surprised, where his expectations are thwarted, 
where he has to change his mind about what he himself has done. They don't want to focus on those because those destroy their theology. Remember, their theology is a universal theology. If one data point to the contrary will destroy their whole thing. They're making a universal claim about the state of God's knowledge that he has absolute knowledge of the future. One counterexample destroys all of that. Whereas in open theism, we say God has volition. God has agency. God has intelligence. God can predict things. <laughs> Remember back when Abraham said, if I go to Egypt, they're going to kill me and they're going to take my wife because he understands how humans work. He's able to predict these things and know these things about the future. And he's just a person. How much more so does God know about the future? <laughs> it's funny. These people, they treat God as if he's incompetent and incapable. And then they will use complete double standards. I was talking to one lady at one time, and she's saying, oh, God doesn't know the future in open theism. And then later, guess what happens? Guess what happens? Same conversation, a lot of people there. She talks about, you know, when God is uh, in, in the garden and uh, asking these questions, it's the same thing that I would do with my son. I will ask a question, and I know how he's going to respond. And I pointed out, oh, so you know the future? You know the future? The same people who are attacking me, saying that in my model, God can't know the future, they didn't stand up to her and say, oh, um, you misspoke there. You don't know what your son's going to do because, oh, lightning can strike or something like that. Uh, some of their ridiculous scenarios. Uh, their, their standards are non-existent. They understand how language works, how it functions, how we ourselves know things about the future. They just don't want to apply the same standards to their reading of the Bible because or else then their theology falls apart. This weak evidence that Tyler Failer gives is just non-conclusive. It doesn't, doesn't prove his views. So here's what he does. He reads this huge section from Deuteronomy 31. And uh, just I'll, I'll read a couple lines from it. We're going to get some of the idea of what's going on here. The Lord said to Moses, You're about to lie down with your fathers, and this people will rise up and begin to prostitute themselves after the gods of the foreigners of the land, where they're going to be among them, and will forsake me and break my covenant I have made with them. Then my anger will burn against them on the day I will forsake them. I will hide my face from them. And they will be devoured, and many disasters or troubles will befall them. And so forth and so forth. Towards the end, here's the funny part. He says, For I know their intentions, which they are developing even now, before I have brought them into the land which I promised. So what's the mechanism by which God states is the reason he knows these things are going to happen? It's given in the text. It's not guesswork. We don't have to go out there and try to use our like minds to figure out, oh, it must be some sort of inherent knowledge of all future events. The mechanism, the mechanism is in the text. We don't have to jump to their absurd conclusions. God knows this is how it's going to act, how they're going to act, because he sees what they're doing now. He, he's established their trajectory. The, the answer is in the text, but this text even though the answer, the solution, um, what's going on is actually present in the text, it's going to be ignored by him because he's a pundit. He needs to prove something very specifically. And remember, it's a non sequitur. It doesn't work where God knows one thing in the future and therefore you could extend it to all things always. It doesn't work like that. One counterexample means their system is false. Here's what Tyler writes. God revealed what we read above to Moses before he died. Specifically, rebellion and the consequences for that rebellion. Future generations of Israel's descendants would rebel against Yahweh. Yahweh would punish them. 
As we read through the Old Testament, we see exactly what their descendants did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not a problem for open theism. An interesting thing is that God also teaches Moses a song that will testify against them as witness. Yep, that's what God does. Yahweh even declares that he already knows their intention and how their stubbornness will lead to the ultimate rebellion of their offspring. Yeah, that's his mechanism by which he knows these things are going to happen. It's in the text. Therefore, when God punishes Israel, they will have no complaint of injustice, for God already declared to them what they would do and the punishments they would receive. Yeah, yes. There are no conditions here, and this isn't wishful thinking on God's part. So those are claims. In the Bible, often there's unwritten conditions whenever God is talking, and uh, we see judgment delayed often in the Bible, or ju judgment sped up, judgment subverted based on actions of people. So this is this is just him stating things. <laughs> uh, th these, he's just stating false things, so he's wishful thinking when he starts talking about there being no conditions. Or quote-unquote wishful thinking, like like God's wishing for his people to be rebellious. No, God wants his people to be just. He wants them to be holy. And in the Bible, when they do become holy, God delays his judgment. Delays his judgment. It happens. So one striking case of delayed judgment is the sins of Manasseh. And so Manasseh was king, and he caused Israel to do a lot of evil things. And his son Josiah reigned after him. And so judgment was declared against Israel, but Josiah was a good king. And God listened, and God reacted, and God delayed this punishment of Manasseh during the time of Josiah, so Josiah would not see this punishment. God is delaying judgment because conditions are changing. And, you know, if, if we're going to be like super technical or something, it's like God promised this judgment and then he carried it out. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, but he changed the method by which he is going to even carry out that justice and um, his, his thought process and how he expected it to play out based on changing circumstances that are going on in the text. We, we, don't, we don't like to consider that possibility that God changes his plans in order to accomplish his goals. God has goals. God has firm goals. There's many different routes to that. And I always point to John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, you know, all of, all of Israel can rebel against me. I could kill them all and uh, raise new children of Abraham from these stones and fulfill my promises to Abraham. Those are part of God's options in fulfilling plans. God has desired goals and outcomes, and he has multiple ways to arrive at those goals or outcomes. But delayed punishment, that is a thing in the, in the Bible. Subverted punishment, Nineveh, for example, where God saw that they repented and God repented in turn. These are biblical aspects that you have to deal with. And you can't just assume that the times that the Ninevehs of the world are punished, oh no, that means God foreknew all future events. That's, that's just ignoring the data set. That's cherry-picking data to uh, trick people into thinking that, that your explanation of the data is correct and, and ignoring unfavorable data to that. You know, that data fits open theism, and it fits open theism a lot better. God watches people. God sees how they act. God acts accordingly. God, God's prophecies, are warning to these people, trying to subvert their actions, trying to get them to change so he does not have to punish them. 
God listens to prayers. <laughs> Back in the Manasseh example, uh, Manasseh also prays to God and has subverted judgment because of because of his prayers and supplications to God. Even though he was a bad king, God listens to prayers. This is the biblical data. And uh, I don't think these people actually read the Bible. These individuals, these pundits, they don't, they don't read the Bible and say, okay, what's God doing here? Um, what's this interaction? What's this text saying? Okay, so this person prays, and then God responds, and then the response doesn't quite go as planned. Maybe the people become evil again, and it frustrates God, and there's this back and forth. They, they don't read the Bible. <laughs> I don't think they read the Bible. I think what actually happens is they say, oh, there's a theology out there called open theism that believes X, Y, Z. So that's just kind of scroll through the Bible and find some various texts that we could talk to when we're dealing with this uh, tradition, this this theology, if it ever comes up. Uh, do you think uh, this guy knows the context of Deuteronomy 31? Do you think he read the entire chapter? Do you think that he place it, places it in context? Do you think he's read the rest of Deuteronomy and understands its place in the story? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think somebody said, hey, look at this. Here's some, some paragraphs here from this specific book of the Bible. You could use this to talk about how God knows things in the future. Therefore, you could uh, make some argument that God knows all things exhaustively in the future, unfalsifiably, yada, yada, yada. I think that's what's going on here. This is not biblical scholarship. It's not biblical reading. It's proof texting from people who don't actually read the Bible. He writes, he writes, there are no conditions here, and this isn't wishful thinking on God's part, wishful thinking. This is a clear testimony from Yahweh, not only to Moses, but Israel as a whole, that God indeed knows Israel's future concerning their generations as well, as decree consequences and will, without fail, take place. Right, and, and so, sometimes in the Bible, God's expectations are thwarted. Those, those tend to be a little bit more interesting. Uh, in, light, in light of your theology, which you're here trying to force on the text, there's nothing in there that suggests all these things which you're claiming, and in light of other evidence, is not the case whatsoever. A picture, that's funny, in his own proof text, it, it tells us how God knows Israel's going to behave that way. It's not this magical crystal ball knowledge of the future. It's not the quotes from Augustine and Ambrose and the Gnostics, which talk about God's ungenerated knowledge. These are not biblical concepts. Those are the types of quotes we'd expect to see if any of the authors held to Tyler Fowler's views about God. None of them do. They don't have the, this type of talking about God in the Bible. He writes, A picture that has always been one way God has revealed himself to the Israelites in the Old Testament is thus, to declare future events and actions of human beings that actually come to pass before they happen. No. Wrong. Incorrect. False. Side note. Christians can therefore know and be assured. He, do, he doesn't have a text for that. He might be pointing to like Isaiah. Isaiah is a very late book. And so it's not a picture that God always has that he knows all these human events before they happen. In fact, you get quite the opposite idea. You got uh, the first pictures of God, of God bringing the animals to Adam to see what he's going to call them. There's this whole shakeup in the garden in which God has to punish humanity and discipline them for failing him. There's the flood in which God regrets his own actions in making humankind, flooding the earth, recreating the earth, attempting to work through Abraham, 
to uh, bless the earth and a lot of times that's falling apart and failing uh there there's there's a lot of intrigue a lot of intrigue back and forth yeah there are predictions about the future what things that god is going to bring to pass but it's never about god's knowledge it's never god saying i have this knowledge propositionally of these future events it's always like a promise like uh, i promise to do this for you at this particular future point of time and then god attempting to work through situations in order to get that accomplished we already talked about god's goals god has goals there's multiple ways of getting to those goals uh, the, this the, all this all this nuance is discarded in his view he wants it to be about knowledge he wants uh, god having some sort of <laughs> platonistic picture of himself that he uh, probably apparently communicates for some reason the people in the Bible about propositional knowledge of the future. None of that happens there. It's not about that. It never is about that. It's always about God's plans and God's promises, which are subject to change based on occurring situations. What about judges? What about judges where God keeps repenting? Promises never to again repent because these people are so frustrating that he's just going to let them all die. And then they pray and he repents again. It's this cycle of God being exhausted, wearied by the cycle of apostasy within Israel. Read these books. These are not Calvinistic books. These are not Platonic notions of how God acts and operates. God is a person interacting with Israel, attempting to bring his plans to pass. When was Israel supposed to enter the Holy Land? Was it after the 40 years of wandering? When were they supposed to? How long? Were they supposed to have the judges? When was a king supposed to be in place, according to Deuteronomy? What about these time frames that don't quite line up? Because guess what? Reality is a lot different than what one might predict to happen. It might happen loosely in those patterns, but often the details don't line up because it's not about details. It's not about details. It's never about details. He says, side note, Christians can therefore know and be assured that promises and blessings God reveals to us in scriptures that are yet to happen will indeed come to pass. For example, the resurrection of the dead and the promise to never die again. Okay, so uh, something God has definite power to do. Um, we, we definitely shouldn't trust God if uh, maybe one of the, his, God's promises failed throughout the Bible. What about the sons, sons of Eli? God promised them an eternal priesthood, and then he withdraws it and replaces it with a conditional one. He says, I had promised that your house would go before me forever. He says, but now, but now, <laughs> far be it from me. So what is far from God? God's own promise. He's reversing his promise. He says, those who honor me, I will honor. And those who reject me, I will reject. God switches an unconditional promise with a conditional one because circumstances change. Circumstances change. These people don't read the Bible. These people don't read the Bible. They look for a little proof text. They want their theology. And they don't, when they are reading the Bible, <laughs> the times that they do, maybe they're in church sometime and uh, uh, something comes out of the Old Testament or New Testament and they don't sit there and think, oh, how does this fit with my theology of God knowing all future events? Like, for example, Paul talking about how the Holy Spirit searches us and communicates that information to God. And in that way, God knows what we need before we actually ask for it. How does God learning information from the Holy Spirit fit my idea of God having all propositional knowledge? How does it? How does it? Do you, do you ever sit there and think how this fits your overall theology? If it makes sense. If the author, if they believe 
your theology. I don't think any of these people do believe his theology. And his uh, assurances that we have some sort of emotional stability due to it, first of all, it's a false picture. You have God revoking unilateral promises in the Bible. <laughs> it's a false picture. And secondly, it's not about knowledge. It's about power. Who is going to thwart God's ability to raise us from the dead and give us immortal, immortal bodies? Right? It's, it's not like something that no one should be, anyone should be in fear of not happening. This is crazy talk. Looking then to more passages from the Old Testament, intertestamental period and in the New Testament, we'll see that this trend throughout the entirety of the Bible, as well as in Jewish history, explanation point. <laughs> we have already seen one example above, but here are a few more within the Old Testament and Tanakh. This, this again, and this is interesting where his thought process is that if he finds one or two instances in the Bible of God knowing the future, then his, his absolute claims of God knowing all future events, that's set in stone. We're not doing theology. He's not doing theology. He's not a theologian. He's a pundit. He's a pundit, which is desperate for evidence. Again, in the Bible, if any of these people believed these things about God, we would see those texts like we saw in Augustine, in Ambrose, in, in the Gnostics. And in, in all these early Christians, which were definitely Hellenized, they talked like it. The Bible does not talk like it. These people were not Hellenistic Jews. These people uh, believed in Old Testament theology. Jesus believed in Old Testament theology. Paul and James, all of these people, they're not Platonistic. They, they don't incorporate these values. Those are relatively newer values comparatively to the rest of the Bible. And we see that here. We see that here because if those types of quotes existed, he would be appealing to those quotes. He's not because they don't exist within the Bible. His evidence is, we'll use his own terms, wishful thinking. Uh, God knows one thing in the future, therefore God knows all things in the future. It's bad. Bad. <laughs> the laws, prophets, and the Psalms all testify that indeed God not only knows the future, but actually brings that which he has spoken about into existence. Those are those are claims. It doesn't say that he knows the future, especially not in any exhaustive sense. Um, and the things that God claims to know about the future, he brings into existence. And then sometimes he doesn't. He changes his mind based on unfolding circumstances. According to another place in the law, Deuteronomy 18, is someone claimed to be a prophet speaking for Yahweh, and that which they spoke did not come to pass, Israel would know this person was a false prophet, and he was to die for speaking presumptuously. Well, then I guess we should kill Jonah. Uh, we had a whole podcast where we covered this passage. So Jonah was a false prophet, uh, put him to death, because he said Nineveh is going to be overthrown in 40 days, and it did not come about. The fact of the matter is that it happens all the time where it's, it's common sense that the thing not happening is the common sense thing to happen. God says, uh, you're going to die. And there's a prayer. Oh, God, don't kill me now. Okay, I'm going to add years to your life. God said something's going to happen, and it didn't happen. But there are reasons. And people with a little bit of a speck, just, uh, just, <laughs> just a little bit of common sense, are going to understand what's going on in the passage. And they're not going to say, false prophet, stone him to death, kill him. Nothing like that. Only people like this who are incredibly focused on their absolutely false theology being true. Only those are people who are going to care to the extent that in their 
their metrics, their, their metrics for who's a false prophet and who's not, Jonah is a false prophet and God himself is a false prophet. Isaiah 38.1, in those days Hezekiah became sick and it was at this point of death and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said, thus says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die, you shall not recover. Does it happen? It says at 38.5, just four verses later, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I've heard your prayer, I've seen your tears, behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you out of the city and out of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. So one thing is explicitly said to happen and then it does not happen. God and Isaiah are false prophets by this man's standard. Because his standards are unrealistic, they're unreasonable, and they don't take into account common sense. It's what's happening here. He really wants his standards to be true because apparently... Apparently, that lends to the credibility of his beliefs in some fashion. Rather than dealing with the biblical data, he has to point to a law that may or may not be enforced, may or may not prove anything about how much God knows the future. Or think about that. They have a law that says that if, if a prophecy doesn't come true, then it's not from God and uh, you have to kill someone. Therefore, God knows the future in its entirety. This, this is the standard of logic. This is what he has to resort to because there's just no data in the Bible to support his beliefs. He writes, King David also speaks beautifully in poetic fashion concerning God's sovereignty in the Psalms, going as so far as to say God has written out, decreed, every single one of David's days, explanation point. You have done zero research on your own proof text. John Calvin doesn't think this is about days. John Calvin thinks this is about fetology, development of a baby in the womb. And it's not about God decreeing every single person's days in its entirety. And in the context of that very psalm, God knows because God searches. And King David invites God to search him again at the end to see for God to learn about David, see if there's any wicked ways in him. This is not your theology. You haven't done any basic research. You've reached out to uh, your friends to see, oh, what are the verses against open theism? And then you compiled them together, and none of them prove the things that you're trying to claim. So even if God does like decree like days or something like that, it doesn't prove that God doesn't gain knowledge about future events. It doesn't prove anything like that. He writes, in the following passages, the prophet Isaiah clearly shows that God not only knows own the future like his own future maybe something like that is what he's going with poor he is as creator completely sovereign over his creation including human beings his image bearers look so those are the claims about this passage we're going to read let's see if they have anything to do with each other i am the lord that is my name and my glory i will not give to another nor my praise to graven images see the former things have come to pass and new things i declare before they spring forth i tell you of them so number one, uh, does in the Bible, God's glory, are, is it given to idols by anyone? It happens quite often, and so much so that God has to say, he's not going to tolerate this behavior. And that's what's happening here. He's telling these people he's not going to tolerate that behavior. Because they are subverting worship of him. They are worshiping other gods. Um, God's intents and desires are being subverted. Which is the exact opposite of what our friend here claims about this that uh, he's completely sovereign over his creation. And by that, he means that God controls all things. God does not control all things. This is an attempt to convince people of something that they don't believe. 
God is striving with people in this very passage. He says, um, he clearly shows that God not only knows own the future, like I, th I think he's going for like knows the whole future or something like that, um, which doesn't doesn't have anything to do with that either. It says, um, before things come to pass, new things I declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Well, when has God spoke to you, Tyler? When has he told you about the future? So this is not about you. It's not to you. Um, look at the context of what's going on. It's actually about the new things that are being declared to Israel at that time. New things, not things that are eternally predestined from before time eternal. These are new things. And God, in 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 context, says they, they are new things, brand new things that he starts to do now. Those are the things he's declaring. This is not eternal, divine, immutable decree anything like that this is god saying what he's going to do and then doing it which is the point in context and the point of that overall is to convince people people who reject god that he is the true god rather than false gods they subvert context they subvert context we're going to just kind of skip the other isaiah ones i have my entire isaiah debate and i don't think the calvinists fared very well in that all right now we're getting to the new testament and uh it's getting pretty late for me and so we'll probably do a couple of these and move on but just keep thinking about our basic principles if the biblical authors had any idea of god such that justin failer wants to prove they would have those other quotes in the bible they would have discussions of god and the type of knowledge god has and how god's acquainted with things if god gets acquainted with things a uh, type of uh, unfalsifiable knowledge of the future those quotes do not exist in the bible so we we're subjected to this this other roundabout bad evidence way of trying to deal with these texts. Oh, here's God knowing one thing. Therefore, God knows all things. Here's Justin Failer. Here is Jesus himself declaring Judas's betrayal, an event declared way back in Psalms 41. It's not declared back there. <laughs> so that when it happened, the disciples would know and understand that Jesus is Ego eimi, I am, God incarnate. Oh, is that what it means? I, I, I do remember that discussion of that exact meaning within the Bible. And so he quotes John 13, 18 through 19. I did not speak, speak concerning all of you. I know him who I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who spread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it happens, so that when it does happen, you may believe that I am he. And he puts the ego a me in parentheses. Oh, it proves so much. So that, I guess the idea is that if Judas did not, in fact, betray Jesus or had a change of mind, then Jesus would be a false prophet. But would that be Tyler's conclusion if it actually came about like that? We, we have examples in the Bible. We have, uh, for example, Nineveh changing. God said, you will be overthrown in 40 days. Nineveh changed. It did not happen. And it's not like Tyler Fowler is throwing the Bible in the trash and setting it on fire. He instead comes up with rationalizations, right? So whenever they come across these, these difficult things like, oh man, this shows that God actually changes his mind. He says things that don't come about. And remember your solid rules of evidence in which if they're violated, then God's not God. Here's a clear violation of that rule. They'll come up with justifications, They'll come up with uh, the mental tricks of logic to say, oh, there's there's an implied conditional. Oh, that makes it better that your time delineated statement by God didn't actually occur as God said it would happen. 
oh, that, that definitely makes it better if he's just trying to trick them into action or something like that, if there's implied conditional. I guess that's what we do. It's an unfalsifiable belief. But just think, Judas repents. Judas changes his mind. The Bible would actually celebrate that. He would celebrate it if it was in the Bible. This would not be the be-all, end-all of his theology. He would not burn the Bible and throw it in the trash. Again, this is one of those instances where he's trying to find one thing being predicted by one person, Jesus, and then trying to make some sort of crazy universal claim. But remember, Mark 13, 32, Jesus doesn't know the end times. Jesus is not omniscient. And so this is just an absolutely crazy claim to me, how they're claiming that this instance by Jesus, who they um, admit, they're forced to admit, they don't want to admit it. They don't like this Bible verse. They don't like this verse being in the Bible. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. They would rather that verse not be in the Bible. Jesus is I'm not omniscient. And so Jesus predicting an action of Judas doesn't mean he's omniscient. We already know he's not omniscient. This is not a claim for omniscience. This is crazy talk. This is crazy talk. This is desperation. We're going to skip forward and uh, kind of close out. He writes, In sum, I've tried to show from the Tanakh, the Torah, Law, Nehemiah, Prophets, Kevim, Writings, Intertestamental Period, and New Testament that the God of Scripture does indeed know what will happen in the future. Okay, I guess that proves he knows all things unconditionally, eternally, non-discursively, innately, doesn't gain from outside himself. I, I'm sure all those things are true based on your proof text. He says, he does indeed know what will happen in the future. He declares these events before they happen so that when they do, people will know and understand that Yahweh is truly God. Yep, you, you cherry-picked some data and then uh, engaged in terrible logical leaps of logic, non-sequiturs, in which you're generalizing from isolated data, in which the proof text that you're quoting, the context proves the exact opposite of your beliefs. If you just read the context. In in your own quoted context, God says, I know these things because these people are starting it now. So they're they're predictable. That's what happens. In the context of David and the Psalms, David says the mechanism by which God knows things about David. In the context of Isaiah, this is God attempting, trying to, and failing to convince people of something about himself and explaining in detail what he's talking about. We don't have to grab these little statements out of context. God is very explicit what's going on there. He's declaring new things, things that are not eternal declarations, new things in order to convince people of something that those people don't believe. God's failing to convince people of things. But all these get turned into proof texts for this theology. It's this, this theology. And he says, oh, this should give Christians everywhere hope and assurance when things like they, <laughs> when things seem like they're out of control from our perspective, we can rest in God, knowing that he is not only knows what our future holds, but is bringing those things to pass for our good to shape and mold us into the image of his son. Oh, Tyler Failer, this, this guy is not a theologian. He's a pundit. He doesn't care about the Bible. He doesn't read the Bible. He does not read the Bible. He doesn't read the Bible. He uh, just grabs little texts out of context. He scrounges these texts from queries for people for evidences of his beliefs. He doesn't read the Bible. They, they don't know the context. They don't know the story of the Bible. And it's plainly evident. 
Anyways, we're going to stop there for tonight, uh, but uh, questions and comments, put that down below. Or start a thread on the Facebook page, the God is Open Facebook page. It's a good place to discuss anything that we want to discuss. Anyways, I'll leave you there. Thank you for listening.